Welcome into the KSO Show. I am Mason Voth, joined by Derek Young. As we get set to uh, talk a little bit more football here at K-State Online, we are exactly two weeks away from kickoff between K-State and NC State in the Pop-Tarts Bowl. Should be a, a fun bowl matchup for the Wildcats in terms of location, opponent, the novelty of the, the bowl name, and uh, the situation with a giant Pop-Tarts mascot that we hear is going to be edible. So this has all the makings of really a great bowl game matchup. Top 25, nice warm location, opponent you don't ever see, and some oddities with the uh, sponsorship name. So I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, there are football reasons to be intrigued about this game, and uh, we'll go over plenty of those right here. But uh, two weeks away from the bowl game, where, where do you feel on K-State football right now in terms of who will be on the field come the end of December against NC State? I feel comfortable knowing who will be on the field. Uh, it'll be maybe interesting to see how those guys perform because in some cases it's going to be players that haven't seen a lot of football yet. Um, almost it does feel kind of like a – a preseason exhibition game or a scrimmage of sorts just to see where some of your young players are at. Um, I think that's what we've kind of come to when it, when we're in regards to bowl games that don't necessarily have pivotal consequences, such as the one maybe last year where you, you kind of feel like you want to play up in that one. Now it didn't go well, but you're, you're playing in a consequential bowl game of sorts because it was a new year's six game. It's a sugar bowl. The opponent's Alabama, uh, Bryce Young's playing, Will Anderson's playing, all those guys. So, um, Jameer Gibbs. But this one's got a different feel to it. I think we know who will play in the bowl game, but I'll be honest, like this time of the year in terms of coverage, we haven't, you know, gone neck deep into the bowl game just yet because it's a weird part of the calendar, quite frankly. And I don't know if there's a good way around it, but you're losing players to the transfer portal that will not play in your bowl game. You're trying to add players from the transfer portal. You're trying to – you have signing day in a week when it comes to high school players and junior college players. And you're also – it's also the coaching carousel. So it's probably the worst time of the year for to be a college football coach because you have to prepare for a bowl game. You have to recruit high school players. You have to recruit junior college players. You have to recruit players from the transfer portal. You have to make sure you're going to keep guys as well. And you might have to be replacing coaches. Obviously, Kansas State is in a situation where it has to. And there, there's some teams trying to do all this without a head coach. Uh, that's also crazy. Uh, is there a way around it? I don't know. Because, yes, it's not ideal to have the transfer portal window right now. When else are you going to have it at the same time? Because these guys that are in the transfer portal, they want to be enrolled and they want to be playing. Uh, they want to be enrolled in classes pretty fairly soon and start to go in through the winter and strength conditioning program with their new team. So it's like, well, if you don't have it now, what are you going to do? Have it in October or November while the season's still going? Of course not. So yeah. there's just not an ideal situation to be had, I don't think. Yeah, that's kind of the talk with Malik Murphy at Texas. Like, that's the big one where obviously he played this year. He played significant snaps for Texas, and he's having to say, hey, I'm out of here before their game with, with Washington just because of the way that the calendar works. And so uh, while I do think the system is flawed, like you're saying, there's not really anything you can do to make it better unless you have some like massive calendar changes that not only really impact athletics, but then it would also impact like the academic side of these schools and everything. Yeah. And uh, the, the academics, as we know, those people, they already don't want to give as much as they are giving to athletics in terms of whatever it is. They certainly do not want to say, oh, yeah, we're going to start class or we're going to start this semester uh, a week or two later now just to accommodate to a handful of guys in the transfer portal for football that don't even want to be here. Yeah, I mean, what, but what calendar change can you have, right? Because yeah, I mean, you'd have a, to just ex, like start the second semester later, give guys more time to enroll at their yeah, new, yeah. Their new but spot. There is, but there is no calendar change that you can actually do without also changing the academic calendar. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. And and no, like I said, nobody on the academic side is wanting is going to want to move a muscle on that because 
Yeah. They already have to on so many other things. This time of year is when, you know, you're, there's no way around it. Seasons are done and the next season, because it's football, starts pretty quick. Football is basically around the year sport at this point. So coaches are going to change jobs at this time of the year. There's no way around that. And kids are going to want to enter the transfer portal and pick their team around this time of year. There's no other way around that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's dive into the Pop-Tarts Bowl. Uh, we talked about it when the matchup first came out, but there's uh, a little bit more that we can go into now and, and start to break this down from a little bit of a different viewpoint with it being two weeks away. The Cats opened as massive favorites in this game uh, against NC State, but then also K-State started losing players and things kind of rolled down to a uh, normal spot. K-State still favored by three in this game. Um just off the top, we will obviously have more as we get closer to the game. But right now, gut instinct, you think K State covers the minus three that they're they've got on the board? Yeah, that's a tough question, right? <laughs> I, I I appreciate the uh, the topic. <laughs> who who the hell knows, right? <laughs> who the hell knows? I will say no, maybe <laughs> no, maybe maybe no. NC State's down quite a bit of dudes, too. Now, I don't know that they have a, as many consequential players that are going to miss this contest, but they are also high in the transfer portal numbers at this point. These are two of the higher teams. Um, fortunately for NC State, I think their best player, regardless, offense or defense, is Peyton Wilson, the mm -hmm. linebacker, and it sounds like he's going to play. So the best player on the field could be him. Yeah, yeah, Peyton Wilson, it, by all indications, will play. I mean, he's a, he's a senior, so uh makes sense and everything. I Look, I, I'm interested to see how it goes down. I can kind of go back and forth. I've got some questions about K-State's defense because, obviously, th that to me is the the side of the ball that of guys that aren't going to be on the team for that game, that were on the team for the first 12 games of the season. That's where you lose the most impactful or notable guys, uh, Will Lee being one of them. Kobe Savage being maybe the the biggest notable out of that crew. Um, and then, you, you know, you lose a guy that gets rotation time in Nate Matlack. And they've been dealing with linebacker depth problems all season. So it, that makes it a little bit concerning. Um, but NC State's a pretty one-dimensional offense. It's get the ball to Concepcion and, and call it good. Find a way to do that. So if you just track him, it seems like it should be pretty simple for K-State, but you're going to have to be putting some pieces out there on the field that aren't accustomed to either being in that position or playing that many snaps in a game, uh, and that can always be kind of the concern because, uh, like I've always said, it's not about who you're losing on the field uh, when a guy gets hurt or he leaves the team. It's more so about who is stepping up to take his spot, and so the intrigue but also the concern in this matchup for me comes down to who K-State is going to be having to play on the field when, you know, a guy like Keenan Garber or Jacob Parrish needs a snap or two off. So are you going to make sure that whoever goes and fills that void out there, since Will Lee's not in the, the corner rotation, are they going to be able to lock down enough to not give up a big play? Or, you know, so many of these guys are going to be consequential and having to step up in new roles. And we'll talk about it offensively because that's a whole different ball game too with what's going on over there. But that's probably the number one spot that my head goes to in terms of what would give me some pause about K-State winning this game is that the defense can't hold up their end of the bargain. But, uh, you know, from what I've watched of NC State this year, I'm really not overly impressed by them. Um, they played in a weak conference. We've already <laughs> discussed that. And I think even with all the opt-outs and, and things that have gone on with K-State, I, I do still expect them to win this game. Yeah, to, to correct myself, I said Peyton Wilson's probably going to be the best player on the field uh, when these two teams meet in Orlando for the Pop-Tarts Bowl. I'm sure Cooper BB would disagree with that. So that was He'll kind probably of, be the best player on NC State's side, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd feel confident saying that. Cooper BB would disagree about overall. Uh, and it's stupid I said that because he's a consensus All-American, the first one, uh, first K-State offensive lineman to do so. <laughs> and I in school history, and I think just the third player overall in Kansas State school history to be a consensus All American. I think the other one was Chris Canty and was um, Terrence Newman, I believe. So uh, I think that's right. Uh, to your point, 
going to be some replacement players kind of, you know, in this game. I think Gusto Samalo is going to be healthy enough and give it a go. So you're going to have the, the typical rotation at nose guard between him and Damian Alalio and, and Javon Banks. I think we'll probably still be at nose guard, at least for this game. On the defensive end, that's where you come into a little bit of a situation where, you know, you're not going to have any Matt Lack. You might not, probably not have Brendan Mott. Don't know how that's going to shake out just yet. Um, only had two bowl practices. I don't know if he was participating in those yet. And and obviously now you're not practicing for the bowl or preparing for the bowl because it's finals week. So they'll resume that here fairly quickly after, after Friday. So, But you do have two guys that you played a lot this year, at least, between Khalid Duke and, and Cody Stuffelbean. And beyond that, you're probably going to be asking for a bit of help from true freshman. Chidi Obi Eiser played a little bit this year. Um, Jordan Allen hasn't. Maybe he does in the bowl game. I don't know. But you at least will have two guys that have played a considerable amount, I think, um, at least between Khalid Duke and Cody Stuffelbean. At linebacker, uh, I don't think you know, the transfer portal really didn't desecrate this this unit. It was more so injuries that have. Austin Remains been banged up a time or two throughout the past few months. He should be healthy enough to give it a go. Probably is your starting inside linebacker, at least between him and Bo Palmer. But that's more of an injury-injected situation than anything. The same was Desmond Purnell all year. It should still be Desmond Purnell. Um, in terms of back, him backing up, it'll still be Tobios and Sami, I would believe. At the will spot, you still have Austin Moore. I think he'll come back for an extra season as well, which is pretty good news, I guess, from a death standpoint. Um, you know, Asa Newsom was his backup at a time um, throughout the season, but he got injury, injured early on. So that's probably a Rex Van Y situation. So the linebackers is probably the same guys you kind of saw the last two weeks of the season. Uh, not really hit by the transfer portal, but more so the injury bug. Corner was hit. Jordan Wright gone. Will Lee gone. Who's going to play behind Keenan Garber and Jacob Parrish? Probably Justice James, I would imagine. Uh, he's a guy that got some snaps this year, not a ton, but he will probably be thrusted into a lot more playing time. So how does he do, do in the bowl game? That will impact the, the defensive product. Safety, I think the only one you're missing is Kobe Savage. So you know you're going to get V.J. Payne. You know you're going to get Marquis Siegel. Who are those other players that are going to be intertwined in that game? Is Jack Fabers healthy enough? He played a bit this year early on in the season. Could be him. Colby McAllister, I thought, flashed this year in this, in this amount, the amount of snaps that he has had. And then two guys where I think it'll probably start with this. Start. I'm not saying they'll start, but it'll start with this bowl game, but especially be the case for next season. With not a lot of turnover in the safety room, that probably means there are not a lot of room to add guys to supplement what they already have. That means dudes like Nikendra Steiger and Daniel Cobbs have to make a leap. Yeah, I think uh, looking at, at the the defensive side, you, you lose significant guys, but you know, I, like you're saying, there there is the the depth of guys that have been in the program, and now they're going to get an opportunity to step up, and maybe a little bit sooner than would have been anticipated. Uh, with how things go real quick while we're on the subject do you think we're done with seeing transfer portal entries for k-state uh, obviously there's going to be a, like a four-day window after the bowl game where things can change and maybe depending on how guys do play or don't get the opportunity to play in the game that decides some things but are we close to done with the exodus from k-state between now and a bowl game i would think so the only kind of situation maybe that they're Awaiting is probably one like a Brendan Mott, uh, what he decides to do. You hope that this temporary restraining order doesn't allow someone to jump in the portal that already has to. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a good point. And the the TRO, I was listening to uh, a guy last night that kind of had some insight in it and basically was like, yeah, so they'll issue this. And then after that, there's another thing they can do. And it might make two-time transfers immediately eligible for more than just the two weeks, it might extend into the start of next season uh, for football and basketball. So a lot of things to, to work out with the NCAA, and hopefully K-State doesn't have to deal with too much of it. Uh, one of the big topics and probably the number one thing that people are locked into for this game is what to expect from the offense because you're going to have Avery Johnson as the starting quarterback. Our first look at, at Avery as the number one guy throughout the entirety of the game. And in addition to that, he's without his offensive coordinator. So somebody other than Colin Klein will be calling plays. 
Uh, what do you expect offensively for how this game will play out for K-State with Avery Johnson and how the play calling abilities go down? Yeah, I would imagine Connor Riley is the play caller. I think that's the plan going forward, uh, at least for this game, maybe for long term as well. Um, I think that's something that's probably still being ironed out to an extent. But my expectation is that Connor Riley is the guy moving forward. Um, in terms of quarterback, you you wonder what the plan is going to be like. You're going to, I mean, the the most value that he's getting out of this experience that's Avery Johnson. Uh, folks will look at the game itself, being able to go start to finish as being in charge of an offense and and kind of having the entire playbook at your disposal and, and open things up and not just be, you know, put into a little bit of a you know our category or our package here and a package there. You no, know, this is your offense. The game plan is going to be built around you and your skill sets. You're going to be able to do everything. We're not protecting you, so to speak. So uh, that'll be interesting. It'll be intriguing to see what it looks like, what Connor Riley can create, um, how they will plan to attack, how much run, how much pass, what it looks like to go from here because – um, you know, this is the last game. You, you can really like let it fly and, and probably get a sense of the comfort that you have with one another. And, and you're also doing it without a quarterback coach, which is, which is another interesting layer to all of this. So I, I, in terms of expectations, I guess I would imagine at least the, the, the bone, right, the bones of it all, the structure of it all, I don't think you can really overhaul that even if you wanted to in just a, a little – bit of time, especially with the true freshman and quarterback, it's probably going to be at least the structure and the bare bones of it all um, that you have created under Colin Klein. I think you got to use that. Uh, the play calling tendencies and instincts will be different. Um, what you like to do when and where on the field will be different. But in terms of what they're going to have to work with, I imagine it's what's been the offense the last two years. I don't think you can um, – tear it down and build a new baby in, in a month. Yeah, I, I, that's, I think, a good thing for people to keep in mind, that in all likelihood, a lot of the the things that you'll see from the offense for this game and, and probably extending even to, like, next year, if Connor Riley is the guy long-term, there probably it probably won't be a drastic shift from what we've seen. Like he's been a part of obviously two different offensive coordinators at K State, and obviously that's a guy too that like he knows football, he knows what he likes. He'll probably have his own wrinkles to throw in there. But he coached with Courtney Messingham and Colin Klein. I think he understands which offense played better, looked better, was more satisfying. He'll probably go along the lines of the Colin Klein stuff and. When you have all these guys in place and the infrastructure there with coaching and everything else, like there's only so much that you could overhaul to to have this be um, overboard. Really, it's going to come down to how how does Connor Riley handle calling the flow of the game and making some of those decisions and seeing where that goes to. Um, and I, I think you know, and this is probably just me. And I, look, I I'm a certified idiot sometimes, so that's fine. Um, but I think myself and others are probably the only concern you would have with Connor Riley is, well, he's an offensive line coach. Like how does that translate to being able to call plays? Some offensive line coaches, no doubt they can do it and they can elevate to high levels of coaching others. You're just kind of locked into coaching that position and that's what's best for you. Where do you side on, on what you think Connor Riley can do as an offensive coordinator, even if it isn't him long-term at K-State? That's what I'm trying to determine, right? And trying to unwind and, and figure out. And it'll probably take the bull process in the bull game. And really, that's probably not enough either to get a good gauge. But like others, and, and you I, I put myself into, you know, just the bull of people that just make assumptions and, and we all just put off the line coaches into the same cup they're all the same i mean offensive line coaches are a different breed and because of that we all i guess you know uh, hypothesize not the right word we um put them into the same bucket in terms of what they are as offensive coaches what they lean towards doing um things of that nature you, you know it's and it's not a sexy thing 
what we just assume from offensive line coach hires. I know I'm kind of trying to find the right words here and I'm struggling, but they're they're all viewed as guys that just want to run the ball, you know, physical brand of football, not necessarily the modern brand of football. And it's probably, you know, not the case for every single one. All of them are going to be different in their own way. And we'll find out what that is for Connor Riley. But I think the best thing for the program moving forward is to still have an offensive product style scheme, whatever you want to call it, that is similar to the one that Colin Klein instituted at Kansas State. Yeah, because you don't want to to ruin the good equity that you had started to finally build back up with playmakers that want to come into your offense. Like that was the, probably the biggest thing that Colin Klein did for the offense. Because look, the lows with Courtney Messingham were much lower than anything that Colin Klein had out there. But the offense under Courtney Messingham, for the most part, it was still pretty successful, and it it, it had good analytical marks, but it lacked some of the appeal that you need for you know, playmakers like receivers to want to come and play in your offense. And it just had too many moments where it bottomed out and it bottomed out hard. And so I I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see if you can kind of keep that flair to it. And obviously the biggest part of this too is, is calling a game uh, that, that is suitable for Avery Johnson, not just in his style of play, but how he actually wants to play in an offense. And I think that's a big thing to be considered for this game and then obviously moving forward next year. Yeah. And I guess I just thought of it, the word, I don't know why I struggle with the word either. He's call me a, a dummy, I guess, but it's like the stereotype of an offensive line coach. Yeah. If that, if Connor Riley is the true stereotype of an offensive line coach and how he wants to conduct his offense, it becomes a little less sexy. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be three runs and then hope that you got a first down. And if not, then all right, get the punt team out there. Uh, we message to Connor Riley. We do not want an Iowa Hawkeye offense in Manhattan. So, yeah, just, don't put if you're the state. I think, I mean, they're they're all teach pretty similar similarly. But if if he is the stereotype of an offensive line coach, then then you then you do start to wonder. Yeah, I, I we'll see. I you know I think it's I'm just going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's just going to be interesting to see through the process how he handles things, how players talk about him. I mean, uh, we're recording this on Thursday, so Friday is going to be uh, the first day that uh, players are made available and we'll maybe get a little bit of insight into that process. And then obviously, once everything kind of kicks off down in Orlando, it'll be full bore and we'll get somewhat of an idea of how that's going on. So uh, I'll be interested to see how how players react because that's that's the most notable thing. Like You can tell by the way those guys talk and react on what their feelings are and, and what they see. So we'll see uh, where we go from there. Uh, finishing, term, I would ahead. say finishing, finishing the year off on a good note is so important anymore, especially because, you know, you, there's still days left of the transport portal being open after the fact. Uh, we ran into the reason why I put a lot of emphasis on this now, and it, it's something, you know, even as media folks, mem- members of the media reporters, as the sport changes, so does our viewpoint of things. Now, I used to think bowl games were tremendously important because they were. Now, if you're not a New Year's Six Bowl, it's a glorified exhibition game. You have to approach it that way. But now you're seeing, you know, with the transfer portal windows um, and how that affects things too. Because last year, um, there's a transfer portal window after a season as well. But Kansas State just won a Big 12 championship. And they were going to a bowl game of serious magnitude, the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. So guys didn't instantly go to the portal after that game because they wanted that experience and because there was good feelings and good vibes after the season. They just won a freaking conference title. This year, a little bit different. You play one, you maybe your worst. The only one that's probably in contention is Oklahoma State, but you play a really bad game against the uh, Iowa State where you can't tackle a soul. Everyone feels shitty afterwards, right? So people, you know, enter the portal a little bit quicker or there's frustration that boils over that can cause irrational, emotional decisions. Add on to the fact that, yeah, you get to go to a bowl game in Florida, but it's the Pop-Tarts Bowl. It's not the Sugar Bowl. So guys aren't as motivated or inclined to stick around. (coughs) Excuse me. 
after the or before. So you got guys in the portal soon. So now you have a little bit of a depleted roster for a bowl game. Well, now the portal's still open for a few days after your bowl game. You don't want to end on another sour note and and tempt fate again, so to speak. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great call. All right, uh, back to the game itself and uh, the the number one spot of intrigue. And we kind of talked about the offense already, but um, Avery Johnson plays a, a a significant role in people's interest and excitement for this game. Yep. Uh, how do you how do you anticipate him handling this opportunity? his first one of the season as the number one quarterback going into a game. And obviously he's not playing a slouch of an opponent. Like this is not Texas tech that you're facing. This is NC state who has one of the best defensive players in college football on a team that is looking for their 10th win this season. Yeah. He gets he and his first game, he's going to be playing a ranked opponent that was very good in the ACC and power five opponent, obviously that's mm-hmm. ranked not at home and was probably a top 10 defense throughout the year and has been a top 10 to 20 defense for several years under Dave Dorn. That's their calling card. Uh, They make a lot of good quarterbacks sometimes look silly, adding to the fact that they have one of the best defense players in the country in linebacker Peyton Wilson. So huge test for Avery Johnson in his first start as a quarterback. Remember, he did start as a wide receiver (laughs) against TCU. Um, No, it'll be (coughs) – excuse me. It'll be an incredible challenge for Avery Johnson. I don't think the moment will be too big for him. You know, I've got you have too, Mason. Mm-hmm. But we have, so we have covered this guy for even though he's only a true freshman, we've probably known him and watched him play for four or five years at this point yeah. already. That's the thing. And one thing we know is how he carries himself, um, how he plays in you know big moments, even when he was a young young high schooler, and even how we've seen him handle himself in the spotlight at times this year as a true freshman. And in front of a microphone, like he doesn't really get rattled. So I'm not saying he's going to light the world on fire. It'd be nice. I don't know if he will. He could. He's that good. But he's not going to be overwhelmed. Yeah, no, that that's a great call there because uh, it's like if you go and, and look at how he's, he's played football for, you know, the last however many years that he's kind of been under the microscope and everything. The the very first game that I did when I moved to Wichita was Mays and Derby, Avery Johnson's sophomore year of high school. And look, that's that is Derby in the the peak and the prime of their state title run. And he leads Mays to a 36-35 win. It was incredible watching you're like, man, this guy's only a sophomore with what he was able to do. And then obviously, I mean he put he put together three incredible performances against Derby uh, up during his high school career. One of them was a loss, but it was definitely not his fault. And I mean, that was, that was one where like he and, and Gary Guzman, his coach, they had the stones to just go for the win on the road at Derby and it didn't work out for him, but he made plays in that game. Then obviously he was heroic in the, the, the senior year game that he played at Derby as well, that they won. So he's risen the moment at each level. And look, college football is a much different environment than like everyday life and stuff, because there are just differences when you're playing with elite athletes out there. But my take on a lot of things has always been that like this was, you know, in school, you go up a grade, you know, I can't tell you the difference between going from fourth grade to fifth grade when I'm doing it. I can't tell you the difference between going from middle school to high school, because if you have been preparing your entire life and going through all this stuff, you're ready for that moment when you get to it. So when you complete eighth grade, you're ready to be a freshman in high school. You should be if you're, you know, you got at least some things going on your head. Avery Johnson's entire life has been building to this moment. And that's why we saw him against Texas Tech be able to come through, not have any weak spots, and lead K-State to a win on the road in a monumental Big 12 game for this season for them. He got it done. And he's risen the occasion a lot of other moments in his life. I expect him to do so against NC State. But a big part of that is going to come down to the other guys that surround him in this game. And K-State's top two receiving targets are gone from this game. Phillip Brooks and Ben Sennett, they've opted out. They're getting ready to for their pro careers. So who is he going to throw the ball to, and how is he going to have guys that can help him make plays against NC State so K-State can win his starting debut at quarterback? Yeah, you're going to see Garrett Oakley, a lot of Garrett Oakley at tight end. You're going to see Jay, a lot of Jace Brown and Keegan Johnson at receiver, but Jaden Jackson is probably going to 
reclaim what was a, a, an abundant amount of snaps earlier in the season when others couldn't go. RJ Garcia also gone, a guy that probably yeah. saw the next bit of snap. So I would imagine the starters going to be Jaden Jackson. I was going to say Keegan Johnson, Jace Brown, Jaden Jackson. I don't know who could play Phil Brooks' role of those three, though, or if anyone – any of them are cross-trained to do so. Maybe it's Keegan Johnson. Yeah, I was going to say, you might, you might try and force Keegan Johnson in that role. Because honestly, yeah. like, Brooks is saying, he, he caught a lot of balls. If you can put Keegan Johnson in a position to just maximize how many receptions he will have, I think that's where right now you might see the most value out of him. Because when he actually had the ball in his hands this season, he made things happen. It was just he very rarely – got that opportunity now some of that is his own fault others out of his control some of it just the flow of the game I would try and shoehorn him into the Philip Brooks role and give him some of those looks and opportunities that Philip Brooks caught a lot of balls not a lot of yards Keegan Johnson has the ability I think to turn a lot of those catches into a lot of yards it'll depend on if he was already learning the that spot in the playbook or not if not it's it'll be hard to do that in three weeks uh if and if not and you do have to do it in three weeks, then you're talking about maybe a limited number of snaps in that role. That's why, you know, and the next, like I said, the next group of guys, you got some exits already with RJ Garcia and Xavier Lloyd. So I, I think you're going to see Seth Porter probably mm-hmm. uh, a good amount, maybe in that Phillip Brooks role, but you're going to see still a good, a good number of Keegan Johnson, Jaden Jackson and Jace Brown. So beyond Jaden Jackson, Keegan Johnson, Jace Brown, I think you're probably looking what Seth Porter and Trace Pivey. I was going to say, Trace Spivey was the name I'd asked you about if you thought that we'd get some good looks at him. Because obviously, early in the year, uh, the first game, we saw there was a little bit of a connection there between him and Avery Johnson. And I think because of the excitement and the status of that pickup for K-State last year on signing day, a lot of people probably look forward to what he could do for them. Uh, how much of Trace Spivey or some of the other young offensive options in this game do you expect to be on the field because obviously joe jackson is going to maybe have an elevated role since Trayshawn ward's not on the roster anymore yeah i think jace brown's going to play a ton i think trace bybee's going to play probably a chunk joe jackson's probably going to play a chunk so those ones come instantly come to mind and that tight end obviously i mentioned garrett oakley Will swanson's probably the next guy because christian moore's already in the transfer portal anyway but maybe Braden lofton a guy that played here and there sparingly throughout the season comes to mind. Offensive line, probably not a whole lot of shuffle, right? Because that's the group that really is still intact. Yeah, the offensive line, we mentioned Cooper Beebe earlier because of how talented he is and and probably being the most talented guy on the field in this game. It shouldn't. It probably doesn't surprise many people that he is going to play in this game, but where we're at in college football right now, how impressive is it that Cooper Beebe is playing in a bowl game for a team that's eight and four? This isn't like Alabama last year who's playing in the Sugar Bowl and trying to prove themselves as worthy when Bryce Young and Will Anderson played in that game. This is this is a little bit of a different deal. So how impressive is it that Cooper Beebe is sticking with it and playing for K-State uh, in the Pop-Tarts Bowl? In fairness to Alabama, they probably viewed the Sugar Bowl last year as not like a Pop-Tarts Bowl because it wasn't the playoff. So I, I do think you still have to give Bryce Young and Will Anderson credit for playing in that game because, I mean, th- that is their equivalent at this point of where it's that true. program is. So I will say he's not the first or the last to kind of be in this same situation and do it. But uh, And I wish it, we didn't have to call it impressive to do it. I wish it was just expected that you play all your games. I understand the risk that some choose not to take, and I'm never going to criticize them for it. I just wish, at the end of the day, you know, I I get it. And like I said, I don't criticize the decisions, especially when millions of dollars on the line. If if you put me in the same situation, I would think I would act differently, but maybe I wouldn't. Um, I'm never going to be in a situation where it's like, this is a yes or no decision, and – $25 $25 million could weigh in the balance. Like I, I'm, I feel fortunate enough if I get into that situation at this point. So I probably lack the appropriate perspective, but I do, I think pine for the days of old a little bit when I was growing up, which would my, the heyday of where I fell in love with college football and watched it religiously was probably between the years. I want to say 1996 and 
through high school, which would have been through 2006. I mean, in in through our college, obviously, of course, too. But that was, but that was every bowl game mattered, um, and every regular season game mattered. And mm-hmm. you, I think we've gotten away from that. Now we're going to get to something. We're building something that probably for entertainment purposes is also going to be fun and exciting to watch in the college football playoff, but you lose some of the charm, but you add something else that's shiny can also be entertaining. So it's like the transfer portal teams lose guys to the portal. They add guys to the portal. We're losing a lot of what we all loved about college football. We're also getting some new things that we'll probably end up enjoying about college football. I think the time commitment thing is also a big part of it where, you know, if you were playing the bowl game, Right now, two weeks after the season ends, maybe you would have more guys do it. But the fact that you basically have to go an entire month uh, when it's just one game left and like I get I get it in terms of what is a guy, um, you know, like Christian McCaffrey. He feels like the first guy that really started this momentum of like what was Christian McCaffrey going to get from playing in the Sun Bowl other than just going out there and playing for Stanford one last time? There was that, and then what Leonard Fournette, I think, basically sacrificed yeah. almost like p- part of the season, right? He just, ah. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, too. Like, these guys that are opting out now that K-State wasn't going to the Big 12 title game when they played Iowa State. They weren't going to the play. Like, all these things. Why would you just not sit out that game? Because that game, there's just as much of a chance that you get hurt in that game as there is in this Pop-Tarts Bowl game. Honestly, probably a greater chance you get hurt playing in, you know, feet of snow and, and cold weather as opposed to, you know, warm and sunny down in Orlando. So I just, I think it's weird. I think the reasoning behind it, I'm with you. I, I do understand it. Obviously we're not in position to uh, be uh, athletes that are having the choice between maybe injuring ourselves and, and saving it for the NFL. I just think that the risk is, is much lower than what people make it seem. And yes, there are some cautionary tales out there uh, of Close what up. can happen. Um, I mean, like the Cowboys, they drafted Jalen Smith out of Notre Dame after he ripped his leg up in, in the Fiesta Bowl. But and yeah, because that was the game, and I was I was thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, Bosa, but no, Bosa got ejected. I think in the first five minutes of the game. <laughs> I, 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 Smart move. Were, That's a heady yeah, move. People were wondering if he did that on purpose since he didn't opt out when he could. Yeah, have. look, I would rather you show up and get yourself ejected in the first five snaps. And then I could be like, hey, you know what? At least you showed up. You fought for your guys and not opting out. That's the, that's the the sneaky way of opting out. So anybody that's out there that hasn't decided to opt out yet but is, to make that decision and say, yeah, I'm going to show up to the guaranteed rate bowl and I'm just going to pop somebody and get out of there and, and call it good. And you can't accuse me of not trying and suiting up for you guys one last time. So I like I, that idea. Yeah. And – it's a, it's a bigger deal. Like it's a broader conversation to have because then then think about like next year is the first year of the college football playoff. Like you just played in some cases 13 games. I know there'll be teams that didn't go to the conference championship that make the playoff, but you make the playoff after going to the conference championship. You've already played 13 games. Um, I think you have to win three to get to the playoff at that point as well. Yeah. Um, so you're going to, so we're going to go from like opting out to basically playing maybe 16 games. And, and, and I get it that having 12 teams in a playoff, you're basically extending, increasing the number of teams that play consequential games in the postseason. So there'll be less opt outs, but I, I'm not sure if someone doesn't play that quarterfinal and still opts out. Right. I don't know. I don't wonder if that happens. Um, but when I talk about like losing the charm of college football uh, and I'll, I'll say this from, and it's kind of coming from, an Ohio State perspective, so so bear with me a little bit. Oh. But but now we we don't have. But this is we've basically corporified. I said like corporate mm-hmm. corporified college football at this point because we're all just you know I I want to say slaves. I don't mean this in a bad. Way. We're like slaves to the television networks at this point because we're dictating how everything um, goes. But because of that, and we have to put our best foot forward for committees and resumes and all this. There's no longer divisions in college football. Basically, we're getting like Big Twelve hasn't had it for a while. Um, Pac-12 didn't this year. Others won't. All this stuff, and we're doing it while we have 18 and 20 teams. 
which makes it all the tiebreakers stupid, yeah. right? But so now so think about it from my Ohio State perspective, how just meaningful every year. And this could be like a UK State, Texas, Texas A&M too, Texas, Oklahoma, I get. But every year, their last game of your regular season, you play Michigan, the team that you hate the most, that you must win at or you get fired. Um, that's why Ryan Day – Basically, Ryan Day hasn't been fired yet. Yeah, that's like why Ryan Day is basically on like coaching list at this point. Um, that what that game means. But now in this new era of college football, so, and stay with me here. Like back then, Ohio State loses Michigan, no chance. You know, you, you, your BCS one and two go, or it's mm-hmm. this bowl game go, or even in the top four, you you lose to Michigan, you're probably still not going. You didn't this year, right? So that game means everything like you can ruin your rival season like that now 12 team playoff high state and michigan every year now they're going to win their first 11 games lose to one another yep. still make the playoff doesn't matter yep. now you also think about it this way or you'll play two weeks in a row now so yep. what what's the first game matter you might as well rest your starters because you're going to play the next week like what are we doing here yeah i, I mean think- you you have to make the decision, honestly. If you're Michigan and Ohio State, like now, look, I, I don't think anybody is going to be throwing that game or anything like no, that. But but you're, not, you're not penalized anymore because the winner goes to the Big Ten championship game. The loser, you know you're gonna be in the playoff in all likelihood. The loser is probably in the Big Ten championship game, too. Uh, yes, that is a great point. I guess I didn't think about that with yeah, yeah. And then like yeah, and even if and you do lose that game and you don't have to go play in the Big Ten title game, your reward is probably getting to play a home game against, like, Liberty or somebody. So Right. Or, or if you're Ohio State, just think of it this way. I, I hope the hell this doesn't happen. You're 11-0. You lose to Michigan. Oh, that's okay. We're still in the Big Ten title game. We'll play them next week. Oh, shit. You lose to Michigan again. Oh, that's okay. We're 11-2 and and we're an at-large to the college football playoff because we're still in the top 12. Like, playing Michigan, like, it'll still matter in your heart. Like, ah, oh, we got to beat them. But the game isn't consequential anymore. Yeah. Yep. No, I agree with that. It's just about do you want to beat these guys? So I don't know. And that's still enough, and that'll be excited. Uh, but I it's it it is changing things. And in college football gets further and further away from the product that everybody fell in love with. But we're not we're not changing our, our viewing habits yet because we're like, well, you know, college football in any capacity is better than just turning away from it totally. So well, we're losing the pageantry, what people call charm, I guess, is the pageantry of the game and, and the rival, the regional rivalries and all that you have. We're getting away from that, unfortunately. But people are right on the other side. Now, you have to, you can make a decision of which side you prefer, but we're losing all that. But we're probably going to enjoy that 12-team playoff and the matchups that we do get to watch. Yeah, maybe bring bring back the BCS and just two teams getting in. Uh, that you want to see you want to see these games matter more. Uh, even the the big ones that were supposed to still act like matter, even though you know, like Florida State's not going to show up and care about the Orange Bowl. Uh, and what who, who's who, they're playing somebody else that they're just Georgia. Yeah, Georgia's not going to care. Like if you go back to where only two teams are playing for the most important game then the Fiesta Bowl and the Orange Bowl and all these other – they turn back into meaning something in some way. Now, you're not totally going to to reclaim what you had back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s with these big bowl games, but you're going to get closer to it than what you have now. Uh, I will forever be on the side of the BCS. All of you BCS haters, you created this. You created this mess right now, uh, and, and now we have to live with it and we have to deal with committees, which – as I've gone on record multiple times, committees suck. Committees are the worst thing that we do as humans. HOAs, homeowners associations, the dumbest people on earth. Uh, trust me, I, I have to sit here and read just the dumbest comments and decisions that get made in this HOA Facebook group. And sometimes it is very funny, but most of the time I just shake my head and go, you people are idiots. Just let me live in my house that I bought. Don't tell me how I have to live in my house. It, committees suck. They flat suck. The NCAA tournament committee, you suck. The committee that is advising Brett Yormark to move Big 12 Media Days to Las Vegas, you suck. Uh, any committee in the world, you suck. I have no problem telling you that. Anytime a group of people get together to make a decision, you're going to get a crappy result. We need just one individual making the decision, whether that is some czar of college football or that is a computer. I would prefer it to be the computer, but 
you know, people hate computers now all of a sudden. On the media day thing, because the Big 12 has already extended their contract with AT&T Stadium for the football championship, I think through 2031 or along those lines, maybe 27, and T-Mobile and Kansas City for the basketball tournament for, you know, a handful of more years. I don't I don't believe that there's actually a time conflict or a scheduling conflict with Big 12 media days in Dallas. There, there's a lot of days in July where you can do that. There yeah, you can pick any day of the month down there to do it. This is there's uh, it's yeah, some so, baloney. So that was baloney. What there's I There's also do, a lot of other places in Dallas that you could do this at. You could do it at the Star. The SEC does theirs in a giant fancy hotel like you could do that in Dallas like it's it's bogus. Yeah, Brian yeah. just wants to move something to Vegas, which again I'll concede. If he's going to move something, make it be Big Twelve Media Days. Don't let it be the basketball yeah, they could, they could, the game. Yeah, they, they could have done the Omni in Dallas, right? So I don't. The scheduling conflict is a bunch of BS, and and it's fine. I hate that you're gaslighting and lying to us again, and just trying to throw out an excuse. You could have just said we're throwing a bone to the other members because now we have a Western chapter of the Big 12 and said we have to put something out there so we chose media day and actually I'd have no problem with it because yep. we, you probably do need to diversify a little bit or throw them a bone every now and then and not have everything in one part of your region that's now spanning east coast to west coast I get it you should probably have something on the east coast as well at some point I get it but if you don't move the, the football championship and you don't move the basketball tournament I'm cool with it. Just don't lie to my face. If you want to move media days to Vegas, just say hey, we're doing this because now we have BYU, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, and Colorado. So it only makes sense. Maybe the next year we'll do it in Charlotte. I don't know. Yep. Nope. I I I totally agree with that. Uh, yeah. If you and if you yeah if you want to bounce Big Twelve media days around and every couple of years you go somewhere outside of the the majority footprint, that's fine. Like. You got to cater to these people somehow. And I, you know, media days is the one that like, I, I've thought about this every time that I've checked in at media day somewhere. And I've seen like people that cover West Virginia show up. I'm like, my word, that would suck to have to make those kind of travel arrangements for essentially just one day of what you actually need. And then you're, you're back at it. Like, it's and media day is not the same as a football championship or a basketball tournament, it is something that would make sense to have at different places. Like you yeah. don't need a traditional yeah. location for that, so to speak, at least in my eyes. Just yeah. don't put it in Houston. I hate that city. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't do it to don't don't put it in Houston. Keep it keep it moving around. So um, that's also to say, like Brett, throw us a bone if you want to put Big Twelve football media days in Kansas City a couple times. Like but, make it easy. But, Brett, put it in Manhattan. Hey, put it in Wichita. Look, we'll, uh, we'll can, do it at the Bluemont Hotel. <laughs> there you go. I'm sure it could handle it. Uh, that'd be a, that'd be a fun sight to see. But yeah, like I, it's just one of those deals where it's going to happen and whatever. But if you're going to have to do it, I, I guess I would rather it be Big Twelve Media Days. It's still just kind of funky that it's it's going to be there. But I'm sure some people will love it. Um, me, I just I, I don't like the headache of all the like. The, the long travel and you think about the majority of the schools that are going to have to make it like that. But as I said, make it fair to some of the others. You were, you were, you were talking about West Virginia being annoyed by having to go to Dallas every year. Now they got to go across the whole freaking country. Yeah. 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 The, the, they're definitely lobbying at some point. Like, you know, could we do this in like Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh or something like make it easy for us. So that's I why we'll, I said, that's why I said Charlotte for like them and Cincinnati and UCF. Yeah. We'll see uh, what comes out of that, but that will do it for us today. Talking a little Pop-Tarts Bulls, we get closer. We got a little bit more insight on what's going on there. Uh, we'll have plenty more coverage over the next two weeks in the lead up to the game. Uh, we've also got a lot of basketball coming your way. We're back tomorrow with the K-State Nebraska preview for the game that's set to go on Sunday. So be sure to stay locked in for that over on the KSO YouTube and if you haven't seen it already, the Cats picked up another commitment today. Devon Rice, a running back out of Las Vegas. Speaking of, you know, the devil, Las Vegas. Uh, you can go find the video that Drew and I did 
breaking down that commitment, what to expect from Devon Rice and uh, how he profiles into K-State's offense moving forward. So uh, anything else you need K-State-wise, go to kstateonline.com. You can find it at On3. You can get signed up right now. I believe you can be getting your first month for just $1 uh, to, to get a little test run and see what you're missing out on if you're not signed up. And if you are, just keep following every aspect of K-State Online that you can. Subscribe to the YouTube channel so you get uh, the first notification immediately when a video goes up or something else is going on. So uh, anything else to add, D.Y., before we jolt out of here on this Thursday? You're right. A lot of Vegas crossover. We got Dave on Rice from Vegas committing. Kansas State play basketball in Vegas this year. We got to go there the next two years for football media day. So, um, and by the way, I just thought of that. Like he said, it's because of a scheduling conflict. But it's the next two years. Like, do you already have a scheduling conflict two years from now? Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> Look, I, I know that these venues probably schedule out pretty far in advance. But like you're saying, what's going on in, in 2024 and 25 that you can't be like, yeah, we'll actually do our stuff on like a week earlier on a Thursday and a Friday instead of a Tuesday and a Wednesday. It's yeah. it's BS. Just be straight up with us. Just say you wanted to put something in Vegas. You think it's going to be a good time for everybody. That's fine. Go ahead and do it. Uh, don't lie to us, Brett. Quit the lying. Okay. And, and never a dull moment, obviously, uh, if you've been following along with us the last two or three weeks. Uh, the uh, the storylines, the, the news cycles don't seem to end. There's a huge development seemingly every, well, for a while. It was every day. Maybe it's every other day now. Maybe it has slowed down a bit. I don't know. But whew, in terms of the drama, the storylines, and the development after development, I, I just can't remember another time in Kansas State sports where it was quite like this. Yeah, certainly in uh, the most recent time frame because we've had basketball and football with major events and it just news that keeps coming day after day. So find all that over at K-State Online, and we will keep you up to date with everything else going on over there. For Derek Young, I'm Mason Vo. Thanks for watching the KSO 